Hello all, D.E. Morris here. I just wanted to give you a quick heads up uh, that going forward, the roles of both Jaron and Wesley will no longer be played by Joshua Story. Instead, they were taken over by a very talented man by the name of Joe Shelton. And I just wanted to let you know before you got to his lines in the podcast and you got real confused. So thankful to have Joe aboard, and I hope you enjoy this next chapter in the Age of Valor Heritage Saga. The Age of Valor, Volume 1, Heritage, by D.E. Morris. A full cast production, narrated by Conrad Hetzer. It had been a long time since the conference hall had been so full. Every seat was spoken for and even then there would be people left standing. Everyone wanted their chance to weigh in with their own thoughts and opinions. Ashland was not completely surprised that representatives alone had not come, but actual leaders. This was pleasing to see. They all wanted to hear her report, and employed every possible tactic to get to Altain in time to give their opinions on what was to happen next. She also knew that with so many people there to hear what she had to say, word of her bragging would get back to Laidley, and no doubt incense him. It was for this reason she smiled to herself as she watched the empty seat slowly fill. Kinaid was not yet there, but Ashton had never left the room. Beside her sat Tasserin to act as moderator for the night, and just behind were Jaren and Luela with an extra chair for Elos if he decided to attend. Ashton looked around the room at all the different nations being represented. Though she wanted to get up and greet them all, this was her home, and it was customary for each group to present themselves to her before sitting down. There would be time for real socialization later. So far, there had been familiar faces, but none Ashton truly recognized with friendship. The hall was nearly halfway full when Kinaid slipped through a side entrance, Elos right behind her. Ashton nearly scolded her sister for her tardiness, but Tasserin touched her arm with a knowing purse of his lips. Your Majesty. She swallowed whatever it was she was going to say to Kinaid, and turned a placid smile to those who approached. Your Majesty. A young woman bowed low, a long brown braid falling over the shoulder of her simple gown. May I present High King of Abeus, Donica McCain. Welcome. Hi, King Donica. You will forgive my surprise. I did not expect to see anyone other than your representative, Kylin, here in Seness. I am glad she has found a home in your court. Highness, tis a pleasure to be in your beautiful country again. Donica was an older man, with red hair that was fading to gold at his temples. As he knelt, Ashlyn admired his sterling armor and the circlet on his head. With the greeting over, the small group from Ebeus went to find their spot among the nations, Kylan and Ashlyn sharing a quick secret smile before following Donica. Another group was already entering, making Ashlyn sit up just a bit straighter. She had not anticipated seeing the winged creatures walking down the center to greet her either. The one to kneel first with a bowed head had shaggy blonde hair and the white wings of a dove. No! I did not expect to see any of the Valar here, least of all their High King. 
No raised his head, a warm smile on his face and a sparkle in his deep blue eyes. We wouldn't have missed this for anything. Thank you for coming, and please, accept my congratulations. I was told you recently married. It seemed impossible that the king's smile could get any brighter, but it did just that. Yes, not long after your departure last year. May I present my wife, Nuala. Your Majesty. The small woman beside him had long golden hair and eyes the color of turquoise. Like her new husband, she also had wings, though not at all alike in looks. Her wings were the kind that would have been found on the ever-elusive phoenix. They were long strands of feathers that went from crimson red to orange to gold, and finally a pale yellow. Bowing her head, she was somewhat timid by appearance, though it was clear by the look on No's face how much he loved her. A pleasure. No nodded once more, before moving on to find seating. Her eyes followed No, watching how he pulled out the chair for his new bride, and held her hand when they were both seated. Even their gazes upon each other were caressing. The next group to enter had both Canade and Ashlyn speechless. The sisters glanced at each other as three men entered the room, wearing the long brown robes of a familiar order. The brethren! Briac did say they were sailing to the Isles. Blessings, sister. All three bowed their heads slightly. We are glad to see you again. You as well. This is a pleasant surprise. The smile the monk in front gave was grim. What is decided here tonight will affect our world as well. Of course. We were very sorry to hear of Brother Briac. Our deepest sympathies. Ashlyn swallowed the lump in her throat. Thank you. As the small group left, Ashlyn turned to Tasserin. Remind me to speak with Sule later. He did far more than I asked of him, and with impossible speed. My thanks and perhaps some sugar are due. Tasserin smiled. Yes, your majesty. His grey eyes had been scanning the room to see how many were left to join them. It would seem there are only two seats left unclaimed. Canade bit her lip. Lenny, I forgot to tell you something. It didn't matter what Canade was saying now. The last couple was there and walking forward. Both wore serene smiles and bowed as all the others before them had. When the man lifted his head, there was a deep love on his face. Do not cry, little Linny. It would not bode well for your reputation. Papa? Ashlyn blinked as Wesley and Emmeline blurred in her vision. She looked at Canade. You knew? She nodded sheepishly. <laughs> I saw them before. It was why Elas and I were late. <laughs> Returning her attention to her parents, Ashlyn shook her head. But how did you know? How could you have known to be here now? Oceana is almost a week of travel away. There was an odd little smile on Wesley's lips, and he glanced over his shoulder. We had a little help. Ashton followed his gaze to see No watching them, a humble look upon his face. Ashlyn struggled with wanting to get up and go to him. She took her eyes off to the winged man and focused on Wesley. 
You had no watching us? Not no. Unlike some rulers, no is a king that recognizes the need to delegate. Tatherin leaned in. With all due respect, your majesties. Wesley nodded his understanding. They could all talk more once council was dismissed. He and Emmeline bowed once more before going to the last two available seats. Did you know? Ashlyn turned a semi-accusing gaze on Kinaid, but the younger sister only blinked and shook her head. About one of the Volar watching us? I had no idea. Frowning, Ashlyn sat back in her seat as Tasserman rose from his. Now that we are all here... The incessant chattering in the room went from a soft buzz to silence. Tasserin smiled when he had the attention of everyone in the room. As I was saying, now that we are all together, let us give a word of thanks. All around the room, heads bowed. Even if a person did not believe in the giver, or any higher power, the beliefs of the host kingdom were to be respected and followed. Blessed giver, we thank you for all the friends gathered here tonight and ask that you bless this meeting and our time together. Help us to think with calm minds and speak with loving tongues. Govern us in this time when we need you most. Dear Giver, we thank you for bringing their majesties Queen Ashlyn and Princess Kinaid back safe to us. Tonight, we mourn the loss of a dear friend and brother. Help us to rejoice in the knowledge that he is with you now, and to reflect only on the good and not the dark. We ask these things in your name. As eyes opened and heads raised, Tasserin sat and Ashlyn gained all the attention. Welcome. Please accept my apologies for requesting your presence so swiftly, but I am certain that you will recognize the necessity of it by the time we are through. My sister, Briac Cecil of Sierra, and myself left the Isles over a year ago, vowing to return only when the Red King was no longer on his throne. She smiled with dark pride and traces of sadness over the loss of her friend. As you can see, we have returned. Cheers of victory went up around the room, while some stayed sober and silent awaiting the consequences of this win for their nations. When the room quieted, Ashton began her recount of events. She spoke of the monastery in which they stayed and gave mention to the three monks there with them now. She spoke of Briac, convincing the order to let him go along each time Tig requested spiritual counsel. It was the only way they would have had any knowledge of what the interior of the castle looked like. Kinaid had been responsible for researching methods of disposal, since she loved to read and learn about anything she could get her hands on. It was she who discovered the rabies plant in one of the old books within the church, as well as the recipe for the rabia powder. At that time, Ashlyn began riding into the village of Montaigne with any travelers or suppliers that passed by the church on their way. Dressed as a boy, she offered to help when and where she could, she visited so frequently that, over time, the villagers recognized her as someone familiar. Every so often she had the opportunity to ride into the castle itself. She would manage to steal away on several occasions to mentally map out the route Briac described to her up to Tig's chambers 
From there, she could also make sure she knew well the route of her escape. As soon as Kanate felt she had perfected the powder, it was tested on Briac. In a minuscule dose, it would make him as sick as though he'd been drinking the entire previous day. Within hours of consumption, the desired reaction was observed, and a final plan of attack was set in motion. It was at that time, before the testing on Briac began, that the order left the monastery. All the while, the monks had stayed purposely ignorant of what was going on. They had ideas. By not intervening but choosing to leave, they had given their approval while showing they wanted no part of it. The church could have no blame if things went wrong, and the three taking shelter there understood perfectly. It was three days before anyone passed by, and Ashlyn was more than happy to travel with the wagon full of textiles, especially when she saw they were extravagant enough for only those within the castle. She helped unload as usual, but with an excuse of an upset stomach, left to creep through the halls to make her way up to where Tig was getting ready for his day. In her hand was the pouch containing the deadly powder she would have to somehow slip him. It was luck that placed a maid in her path, carrying a tray of food and a pitcher. Knowing she had to be bold, Ashlyn discreetly called the maid over to ask where she was going. When the maid revealed she was on her way to the king with his breakfast, Ashlyn told her it would not do to serve him with her shoes laced up so hastily. They were uneven and sloppy, and could cost her employment. While the girl relaced her shoes, Ashlyn balanced the tray against her chest with one hand, and dumped the entire contents of the pouch into the pitcher with the other, praying it had already passed the inspection of a taster. The powder dissolved before the girl even finished with her shoes. Once the tray was handed over, Ashlyn quickly headed out of the castle through a lesser-used exit she'd found months before. Out into the village, as her rain was quickly picking up, she kept her head low and hands in her pockets as she'd blended in with the villagers. At the gate, after making sure no one was paying attention, she gave the watchman a wineskin of drugged mead. He collapsed, and she dragged him into the bushes to leave him there while she took up his post. From there, she went on to recount what happened with Merrick, the escape, Briac's sacrifice, the underground tunnels, and meeting Elos. As speculative gazes fell upon him, he dipped his head slightly in acknowledgement. When it was time to discuss how they'd met Luella, Ashton paused. She couldn't simply turn around to speak with the princess and ask what her decision had been about her identity. Thinking quickly, she directed her thoughts at Elos. What does Luella want me to say about her? There was no answer for a moment, and Ashlyn bought herself some time by taking a sip of the goblet of wine before her. She has a very strong swallow. Either she cannot hear me or simply won't Setting the cup down, Ashlyn made the decision for herself. When we surfaced, we met Luella. She was eager to aid in any way she was able, and secured us passage on a ship that was leaving Armée that afternoon. Tell them. It had been spoken so low that Ashton wasn't sure she'd actually heard anything at all. Kanade was turning her head to look behind them, an expression of sorrow and guilt on her face. Luella, tell them. Ashton hardly had to turn around to imagine the look on her new friend's face. Her tone gave it all away. She kept her veneer neutral 
and hid the deep breath she took before speaking. Luela was so willing to help because she knew what we had done before she even found us. Frowns of bewilderment stared back at her, but Ashlyn continued. She sought us out, knowing that if we were found by Prince Laidley, successor to Tyg's throne, he would kill us. Her heart wanted no more needless death. By joining us, she disavowed herself from the kingdom, and is as much a criminal as we are. Tell them everything. Some faithfully paid attention to Ashlyn, while others tried to discreetly look past her. Ashton wet her lips and looked at the table for a moment. She could almost feel the hurt and anger in Luela. This was not a time to introduce someone, not when they were feeling that way. But slowly, Ashlyn lifted her head. Her eyes went from no to her parents and back again as she spoke. They sat opposite of each other, and she knew neither would overreact. Luela is now as hunted as we are. Not simply for betraying her kingdom, but also her family. Tyg was not her father by birth, but High Queen Finola is her mother, and Prince Laidley her brother. Luela is of the house of Tyg Ellison. The room became a flurry of commotion in an instant. Some stood to look with anger at Luela, and even at Ashlyn. Some, like Wesley and Emmeline stayed perfectly calm and only conversed with each other quietly. Precious few looked surprised but hopeful, like No and most of his companions. Ashlyn looked at him as though asking for help, but his only answer was an encouraging smile. His eyes moved past her, and Ashlyn could hear the scrape of a chair. Luela hastened from the room, taking the exit Elos and Kanade had come in not long ago. Jaren saw the look of concern on his beloved's face, and was quick to reassure her. I told her to go. None of that was easy to hear, Ashlyn. I know. She turned back around to see her calm and organized council in a state of disarray. People were arguing now, nation to nation, and even amongst themselves. Ashlyn looked at Tasserin and nodded, causing him to rise. If you would all be so kind as to find your seats... The serene elf spoke so evenly that it was hard to believe anyone would hear him. Perhaps it was a gift, or perhaps all knew that when Tasserun stood, their time to speak was over, and they needed to listen. Arguments cooled, and even those farthest away from the head table slowly sat. When the room was quieted, and he was content with the results of his request, Tasserun sat as well. Do you have any idea what you have done? The demanding question came from a young woman with dark skin and black curls. She, along with the four with her, had different tattoos all over her body of different shapes and sizes, marking them as from the Najan tribe, from the southern nation of Ali Bane. Bringing her here is the same as inviting the prince here himself. Did I not see the look of rage on her face? A male dwarf with a baby face and big eyes spoke up from the table across the room. Show us, say, then the entire time the queen spoke. An older man with graying blonde hair shook his head, a thoughtful frown on his face. She wanted us to know who she was. If she came to seek out information to send back to her brother, she would have chosen to stay anonymous, to hide in plain sight. 
And of course she leaves before we're able to question her. If I may, I do not believe the report to be finished. His gaze swept the room before landing on Ashlyn. Am I correct? You are. Luella was instrumental in our escape. It was she who found us a ship, and she who paid the captain to let us go with him. Without her aid, as well as that of Elos, I have no doubt in my mind that we would have been caught, and a crate would have been sent home with three heads inside instead of one. The woman with black curls shook her head. With all due respect, it was not within your rights to bring her to the Isles and potentially endanger us all the more. What would you propose I should have done? Send Kinaid home to get a vote from Council while I stayed with our two rescuers, awaiting a decision on their fate? Forgive me for being impulsive, but I was not going to leave anyone else to die. Not on my behalf. As further arguments were presented, Elos glanced over at Jaren. He could see the love and pride on his new friend's face each time Ashlyn responded and held her own. Once he saw Kinaid open her mouth as if to speak, but Ashlyn's stronger voice won out over hers. Leaning forward while someone else spoke, Elos tapped Kinaid's shoulder and whispered, Give me your hand. She obliged without looking at him. With a bowed head and closed eyes, Elos appeared to simply be praying. No one could see the contact he had with Kinaid. Why don't you speak? His voice in her head caused her to flinch, though no one seemed to notice. Ashland says, says all that I want to say, but with better articulation. Elos squeezed Kinaid's hand lightly. But you're of but this you're kingdom, kingdom as well. As well. As well. Don't they don't seek they answers see from the both of you? I am not exclusive to Sinesis in our time. I was born here, but I will go back to live in Salia, Oceana. Besides, Ashlyn is ruler here, the firstborn of their last high king. I'm not here, here, only the spare. Not to me. Ashlyn's lips were drawn into a tight frown. The question presented to her was about Luela, or rather, the true Luela. What if this woman had been a plant while the real princess was being prepared for battle, or the right time to switch places and tear them apart from the inside? None of them had ever seen the real princess, so how could they know? This is bloody absurd. Jaron rose and lifted his hands momentarily to draw everyone's attention. I have seen the princess before, several years ago. The room quieted and paid him full attention. As some of you know, I was a professional traveller before coming to Sines, doing what I could, where I could, to make a living. Five times I was inside the castle Montania, and twice I saw the princess. This princess. And how do we know it is not a maid that happens to look like her? A maid who looks that much like her? Besides, a servant could fake the poise. But not the education. A very good point, Jaren. Unless they'd been planning to use a false princess against us all along, it would be impossible to have someone so conditioned and ready to make a switch that quickly. How soon after Tig was killed did you meet her? Almost a week. And if they knew where to place a false princess so she would end up in your path, why not simply capture you directly? Because they want a war. 
This is a family that thrives on carnage and drawn-out executions. To kill them all in one fell swoop would take away the hunt and the game. One of the elves from the island nation of Mirashan, a group that had said nothing to this point, lifted her chin. Forgive me for interrupting. I feel as though we are wasting our time by arguing over a woman already here. Was not the point of this council to decide what happens now? Unless someone has discovered how to travel back in time, none of us can change her being here. I believe our energies would be better spent deciding on the next best course of action. She leaned forward to turn her steely eyes on everyone scowling back at her. Let us turn our focus to what needs to be done now, and not what we cannot change. There was a heavy silence in the room that seemed impenetrable. Everyone stared at everyone else, practically daring someone to speak first with their gazes. Well, I should think it rather obvious. The prince will not fail to attack Altain when he realizes you aren't coming for him in retaliation for the death of your friend. Nor will he hesitate to try to knock down a few more of our strongholds while he's here. I say we fight for our lands. Dutifully, the dwarf looked at Ashlyn. We protect our own. Always. The Volar stand with you as well. As does Oceana. The laden silence came back only for a moment before High King Donica nodded. As does Ibaeus. The elfin maiden dipped her head. We are with you. Echoes of the same slowly made their way around the hall. Ashlyn appeared grim, but was satisfied in knowing Sines would not be alone in her fight. Very well. I will meet with my tactical advisors in the morning. I urge as many of you to be there as possible. For those that can stay, you will have rooms here at Altain, and are welcome to join in our celebrations tonight. Wetting her lips, she leaned forward and brought her hands together atop the table. We mourn the loss of Briac as well as celebrate his life. Let us share in a night of joy before we are thrust into dark and dangerous times once more. Around the room were reflected many emotions, and Ashlyn felt as though she were bearing every single one of them. My home is your home. As you go, my sincerest thanks for your presence tonight. She glanced at the two men at the doors. A nod from her had them opened. This council is now closed. Go in peace. One by one the room cleared of visitors. When most had gone, Ashton rubbed her eyes. I need to find Luela. I feel terrible. Tatherin's head was tilted, a slight look of concentration on his face. She's with Sule. She finds comfort in him. It was the same in the fields yesterday. Kanade stretched her arms over her head. We have not had a council that long for a while. Or is loud and interesting. You held yourself perfectly, my love. Ashton gave a weary smile over her shoulder to him. You know how I love a good debate. That was quite impressive. Thank you. Ashton turned in her seat so as to get a better look at the young water dragon. Now that you see no one wants to condemn you, will we see more of that fighting spirit I... Did so love when we first met. He grinned. Perhaps. 
Excellent. Standing, Ashlyn cracked her spine. I will try to speak with Luella before tonight. Nady, Mama and Papa are staying, right? As far as I know. Side by side, Kinaid and Elos left the room to go in their own direction, Tasserin disappearing down a side staircase. Ashlyn slid her hand into Jaren's as they left the room as well, slow in their gait. They came out the end of the corridor and turned to head to Ashlyn's quarters. To get there, they had to pass the throne room and the landing above the entrance hall. Here they paused to look over the balcony at the faces below. Some were exploring the castle, others retiring to their rooms before the feast, while some were enjoying new company early. So many unfamiliar faces. Ashlyn was watching an older man with salt and pepper hair converse with a dwarven man. Beside her, Jaren leaned on the balcony and shrugged. His attention was captured by a man of the Volar, one of the many stationed across the nations as messengers by the look of his clothing. He was tall and muscular, with the soft green filmy wings of a lunar moth on his back. He was holding conversation with a female elf and a bald man from the Najin. Like the others of the Najin tribe, his tattoos were numerous, running down the length of his arms, across his neck, and even an impressive knotted star on his skull. Maybe I should get a skull tattoo. Jaren grinned in mischief as he pointed the man out to Ashlyn. As she admired the man's designs, something beyond her caught Jaren's attention, and his smile went from teasing to warm and welcoming. Curious, Ashlyn turned to see Emmeline and Wesley approaching. Now that they were through with counsel and away from all the formality demanded from such a meeting, she was free to greet them however she chose. Her embrace with the two was long and comforting. I cannot tell you how surprised I was to see the both of you. I think we may have some idea. You must tell me everything. Everything from the day we left until now. There is little to tell. When you left for Seness, we were still seeing no regularly. It was his offer to send his people to watch over you when you made up your mind to leave the Isles. As soon as Kinaid had perfected her recipe, one of the two Volar watching over you flew to Oceana to tell us. We left that very same day to set sail for Seness, as I'm sure did many others. We've been anticipating this moment for some time now. Very well played, Your Highness. I would thank you if it had been my plan. <laughs> he stepped forward to give Jaren a tight embrace. It is good to see you, Jaren. You as well. Emmeline embraced him next. Am I correct in assuming it may yet be another year before the two of you have finally wed? Jaren frowned, but Ashton appeared thoughtful. Perhaps... Perhaps not. She looked at Jaren with narrowed eyes. I was thinking in my quarters earlier. Laidley sent what was left to Briac home in hopes of igniting a harsh and immediate retaliation. He wants us to be so furious that we immediately prepare ourselves for war and sail once more for Sadia. Tonight we have a service for Briac. A sad thing, and one that would drive any normal ruler to madness and an immediate and harsh reply. But after the service, we will be celebrating, not fighting. Who celebrates on the verge of war? Lunatics. 
we are also rather close to Samhain. That is an important night for the Celts, and one we did not get to celebrate last year. It was clear her parents were still with her and listening, though Jaren seemed confused. You still want to have Samhain? Turning to him, Ashlyn took his face in her hand. I still want to marry you, Jaren. I want to go into battle knowing I fight beside my husband, beside my king. His hands rested on her arms. And that means... She nodded, knowing the rest of his unspoken question. We will have a crowning as well. My people have waited long enough to recognize me. They call me queen now as it is. Why not make it official? In the meantime, Laidley will be prepared for a war that isn't coming. Exactly. Ashlyn turned around to meet her father's gaze with excitement. Laidley will be so prepared for our outrage of a Briac that he will no doubt be assembled for battle. In fact, he's probably meeting with his own advisors as we speak so as to be ready for a quick attack from us. But when we don't come, he will probably send someone here as a spy to report back to him. He'll be told we are living life as normal and not as any who would be going to war. He will be forced to come to us, and it is here where we will defeat him as planned. Tyg's reign of savagery will not continue into the next generation. It will end when we end lately.